Welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eaves. In today's episode, we explore the future of IoT, from challenge to opportunity, including eSIM, and letting the device choose the connectivity. We also deep dive into dynamic business model evolution, the rise of hardware in importance alongside software, and introduce what we call a Star Alliance style model for global cellular connectivity. And to do this, I'm joined by Nick Earle, the CEO of SI. So welcome to the show, Nick. Great to have you here. Thanks, Sally. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. So I think maybe a great way to start the show today would be share a little bit more with the audience about yourself, you know, the person behind the tech, if you will, and also how SI came into being. I think it's a great story of innovation and kind of where you go next, if I could hand over to you for that brief intro. Um, sure, thanks. Well, um, person behind the tech, uh, I guess I'll just skim the uh, highlights, although there have been a few lowlights, but I'll, maybe I'll jump over those. Uh, you know, I've been in IT for 40 years. Uh, actually, I uh, did a degree uh, just as computing was uh, coming out, so that dates me. But um, basically, uh, to net it out, I've worked for at, at, at SVP, Senior Vice President level, for uh, two major corporations, Hewlett Packard and uh, Cisco. So I've done global roles for both companies. And then I've done four... Um, uh, startups, uh, small uh, privately held uh, companies. So I'm currently on number four on privately held, uh, which is um, uh, SI. Uh, so I've sort of bounced between big and small um, and uh, f- fairly good position to contrast them. With regard to uh, the second part of your question, um, SI was um, formed by uh, two guys who are fairly uh, famous in the techie field. They are uh, uh, Ian Marsden and Paul Marshall, they've uh, created Zigbee, which is used in billions of things. Most people know it from their TV remote control or a garage door opener. Um, and it's just embedded. It's actually a, a technology, but it's a standard that's embedded in billions of devices. And it just works with a push of a button and you don't think about it. And actually, if you think about what SI does, um, they they set out 14 years ago to actually make cellular connectivity, which is controlled by 800 independent companies, each with their own model, to make cellular connectivity like Zigbee, i.e. a single chip on the board of a device, push a button, and you just get connectivity. And that's much easier to say than to do. Uh, But essentially, that Zigbee experience um, uh, was the spark that created uh, SI and the company that we are today. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. And well, we recently had a roundtable discussion, didn't we, which was really looking at, you know, the power of the partnership and the ecosystem and exploring the future of IoT. So looking at eSIM, as you were starting to introduce there, also around private 5G security and all elements beyond that as well. And as part of that discussion, I love the feedback we were getting in the questions as well. And we kind of explored those four pillars, didn't we, with IoT as this transformation catalyst, but also the challenges of the actualization around that and the enablement factors, you know, right across tech, people, culture and skills. I wonder if you could share a little bit more about your kind of key highlight from that, but also, you know, given given time, etc. We could have gone on for another hour, I think, in that conversation. You know, what else could we add to that for the audience today, the areas that we might have missed, for example? 
Well, for those people who are perhaps listening to this, I mean, we had about five or six people, I think, and we were talking about how IoT is complicated and um, uh, the uh, how could we actually make it simpler and make it more like the Zigbee-type experience. And one of my first takeaways was that all the panelists were all saying, yes, this is an issue, this is the number one issue. The second thing, I think, was the point that you've already raised, which is this part about eSIM and that that and, and in some of the feedback that certainly I got post the um, event, I think people are sort of realizing that eSIM is a both a blessing and a an issue for people, and and that sounds a bit strange. So you know, on the good side, I mentioned eight hundred mobile network operators all have their own model, which is put my SIM in, and I'll choose who else you can connect to, but I control the connectivity. Uh, which works for mobile phones with some roaming, but doesn't work for IoT devices where you just want 100% connectivity, uh, regardless of whether your operator's towers are near where your device is. Um, so um, eSIM is, holds out the promise of being agnostic, and what if you could just connect to anybody and the operators don't you know, control the game? And everyone was saying, yeah, this is the big thing. And in fact, um, a guy from uh, iTron, uh, John Griebling, I think he summed it up with just saying, well, you know, he said, well, look, you just need to let the device choose the connectivity. And that was a really simple phrase, which is, I mean, this is kind of how Zigbee works, but, you know, if you just let the device choose the connectivity and stop having people with vested interests choose the connectivity, it, it, it would be a really good thing. Because we didn't start that way. We started outside in, not inside out, if you like. Um, so, so the good news was everybody says, yeah, eSIM and the EUICC standard. And then in the conversations uh, after that, and indeed in all conversations around this subject, people then suddenly starting to realize what that actually means because um, it solves a bunch of problems, but eSIM means that the device is even more important. I mean, you the firmware optimization to let the device choose the connectivity is non-trivial. And you start saying, oh, does your partner have hardware expertise? And 99% of people who say they're an IoT company do not have firmware, hardware expertise. So there's a bit of an immediate problem. And then you start saying, how can you do security? You know, so say, well, I'll do security the way I do it today. Yeah, but eSIM means the device can hop between operators uh, on its own accord. And when it hops between operators, it changes its IP address. And people go, oh, I never thought of that. And then you say, well, how are you going to actually find the device? Because when you go and look for an IP address, it says nothing there. And so there's just some, there's a whole series of these things. And it's just suddenly, you suddenly realize that actually eSIM, yes, it solves the problem of breaking the proprietary lock and giving users procurement leverage. But actually the infrastructure that you use, the sort of MVNE, the mobile virtual network enablement stack that you use is really critical. And you have to manage the entire connection as if you were an MNO, but abstracted and in the cloud across all MNOs. And so things like having a, an MPLS network and the ability to do packet level inspection of the devices, dynamic network address translation to solve that IP address issue. There's a whole bunch of issues which suddenly rise to the fore and are becoming really, really important. And I think we had a good debate about that. 
And I think they are the big issues that are um, the industry as a whole is talking about right now. Absolutely. It brings to the fore the, you know, the importance of sharing around education and awareness and the, the importance of the ecosystem, that, that power of partnership, as I spoke about on that day as well. And that's, again, something that I've seen in a lot of your research that's come out, for example, talking about that ecosystem. Um, and yeah. I like the analogy. I literally have come off a plane only a couple of hours ago myself. So it's a great example of this. So Star Alliance, the model that you've, you've used that phrase yeah. a few times as well. I love that. Can you explain that more for the audience as well? Because I think yeah. it brings to life that. Well, first of all, we use the Star Alliance because the, the you know the IT industry and telecom in particular is full of acronyms and and you know it, it it's pretty opaque and, and difficult even if you're in it twenty four hours a day. So we all know the Star Alliance. The Star Alliance um, uh, allowed the airlines who all compete with each other to actually come together on behalf of the customer. And you buy, you say, I want to go from A to B to C to D to E. You can buy one ticket, you can pay once, you get a single e-ticket number, and you can basically have your choice of the airlines. And so it's a collaborative model across proprietary players. And again, coming back to our founders, um, another over and above predicting, uh, we were the first company to do multi-IMSI SIMs, which we did in 2013. Amazingly, we're in ninth year of multi-IMSI now. But, but the other thing that they did was say, well, if when they were predicting this in 2013, said, well, if you can actually make the MNO to be a choice, not a lock, then actually the real problem you've got to solve is how do you create a business model to get the MNOs to see this as an opportunity, not a threat? I mean, on the, on the surface of it, it's a threat, right? So if you're going to create this company that's going to easily transfer the connection from me to my competitor, and you want my co- cooperation, you want to use my IMSI, Tell me again why that's a good thing. And by the way, that's the polite version of the phrase. <laughs> the way I've had it described to me around the world. Podcast that's friendly it. version, I like that. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah, the answer is, well, what if it, we created a business model called the Star Alliance, which is we call the AnyNet Federation, and we could actually um, uh, orchestrate the connectivity or federate it across all the different players where they all got to service their local traffic, but from a single point. And they would get a direct connect, not roaming rates, which is about five times greater than roaming, by the way. A lot of people don't realize that. So they would all share in the, in the traffic and there would be a small fee taken off the top, uh, a platform fee. Uh, and so in other words, could we build the Star Alliance? And then you would solve the problem because then you could say, well, this chip that's in the device could actually connect to anybody and every player would be perfectly happy with what they've got because they would be getting localized connections, but they'd be participating in much bigger deals, which are global deployments, which is where the money is. And, and from SI's point of view, that's what we've built. We've got 16 uh, localization options now off the chip, plus all their roaming agreements, which basically means we, we can deliver 100% connectivity. And if there's ever any problem on permanent roaming restrictions, like, you know, in Turkey or Brazil or or people exceed their quotas, and all this stuff the users shouldn't have to worry about. We can just steer the the um, the connection, which is why you know we've got four of the Fortune Ten using us. So like you know, do Amazon and Walmart and Shell, the the you know big companies saying you're my global connectivity because I just want connectivity. I don't want to have to be a telecom company and and think about all this. Um, uh, historical legacy uh, uh, complexity 
And so, um, yeah, the federation is the second piece. It's the it's the a business model um, uh, based on a, a proven model, uh, which is uh, the uh, Star Alliance. It's kind of like the Star Alliance meets Visa uh, because we collect the money and we pass it all out. Um, it, although increasingly now, by the way, we're moving to a model whereby you large companies can actually still pay the individual players called BYOC, bring your own contract and just pay the platform fee, but still use the retail rates they get from the operators. So that's the best of both worlds. You can negotiate with anybody you like and still put it through one platform and still have 100% connectivity. And so we think that's the future. And essentially, bottom line is it represents control moving from the individual players, which has been the case for 30 years, to the enterprise where the enterprise controls the switching rules. And then um, they are basically choosing who to um, who to use for their connectivity. So uh, I think that's a fundamental shift in IoT and uh, eSIM is the trigger for it, but you need a lot more things like the stack and the Star Alliance and the interconnects, et cetera. Absolutely, that's a great example. I think also a wider one as well of kind of control shifting in other ways as well. So you mentioned there about enterprise, but also more broadly about the more power to individual consumers. I think we're seeing that in so many areas at the moment as well, aren't we? Well, if, uh, perhaps I can comment on that third um, uh, change. So you've got the eSIM from the proprietary SIM to the eSIM, which is huge, uh, across the EUICC standard, so the whole industry can adopt it. You've got the federation versus the individual players saying, choose me and I'll, I will choose the roaming agreements, but only a subset. So Star Alliance breaks that. The third one is really, in my mind, the... the what's at the heart of um, IoT. So ultimately, you know, it, it, when I was based in Silicon Valley in my HP days, uh, when the internet first came out, we we talked about it as meta-tagging in HTML. We thought it was technology, right? Um, IP standard. And then about four or five years later, we started talking about the fact that you could buy your own book, buy your own airline tickets, do your own shopping, uh, search for things on the internet, democratization of publication and uh, do your own banking online. So it went pretty rapidly from technology to what users could do. And I, I think that what, where we are right now and what ultimately will be the biggest change when we look back is that we're going from eSIM and EUICC today, which we shouldn't be talking about, but it's important but if we were doing this podcast, Sally, in two or three years' time, I'd like to think we were uh, actually uh, saying, look at these new business models that have now come. So what are the, what are the internet um, uh, e-commerce equivalent in the IoT? And I think it's all to do with the same theme of users taking control. And so um, basically what, what um, IoT does is it turns a product into an experience where the manufacturer of that product can reach directly out to the uh, consumer, bypassing in many, in many intermediaries in many cases, and actually um, uh, monetize the data uh, as opposed to the product. So it, you turn a CapEx uh, item into an OPEX recurring revenue. And if you can actually uh, create a new business model for the consumer based on an experience, the consumer can actually then um, uh, control the game, so to speak. And in the same way as the consumer, you know, Netflix, we can choose your own content. 
um, bypass in intermediaries, um, then I think that, that uh, there are certain industries which are already showing how you can deliver a, an experience to a consumer and then create something which um, is a new type of company and a new type of expectation in the marketplace. And, and therefore, you that company that provides it first becomes the biggest player. And I'd say there are four or five verticals where we see that happening right now. Health, for sure, you know, remote patient monitoring, um, the, the ability to, I mean, we're already not going to the doctors anymore, but no, and not just providing apps on your phone that communicate with your with your uh, tele, uh, apps on your wrist, sorry, the uh, devices on your wrist that communicate with apps on your phone, but actually uh, medical grade instruments that can be connected in the home and go directly to your specialist in the hospital, bypassing about four or five intermediaries in health. I think vending, the ability uh, to actually provide a personalized experience and information directly to the consumer where the consumer can actually, you know, your brand is represented by the digital display on the vending machine. Um, so you don't even have to have shops anymore, like in Costa Coffee. The, the coffee is not in a Costa shop, it's in a BP garage. Uh, they're, so they're not even paying for the floor space or the electricity. Um, somebody else is topping up the beans and the milk. And then um, one area in particular, Sally, that I think is, is really going to undergo radical changes electricity power management ev charging i mean that's a i think that that is an area where several disruptions are colliding and it's probably a will be my pick for one of the biggest disruptive um changes that are is going to happen right now absolutely i couldn't agree more with that and you mentioned there are a few things around your know, personalization of experience and um mm. changing expectations and behaviors as well i think again going back to consumers they're becoming increasingly conscious so things around sustainability you know, shared value expectations not just consumers for that matter either you know ecosystem partners for that matter too so I think what you're saying there around um energy and around ev charging those two verticals in particular i think that's going to resonate so so strongly could you give any examples of that any partnerships yeah. that you can share Yes, yeah, I can. Well, um, I mentioned Shell already. Yes. So we do, um, in EMEA, we do 100% of Shell EV chargers. So, uh, I mean, they still use Vodafone. They buy from Vodafone, but 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 we do, you know, in 75% 75, 75 of locations where there's a Shell, uh, now called Shell Recharge, it was called Shell New Motion, where there's a Shell uh, EV charging station, in 75% of those physical locations, there's a, there's a Vodafone signal, and in 25%, there isn't, unlike in consumer phones, you know, an EV charger can't move four feet to the right to get a better signal, you know, you go to the window. Uh, um, so, you, you know, we do the infill, but basically it's one platform, one SIM, one set of APIs, one invoice. So that's on the one hand is you say, okay, and we do about seven or eight EV charging companies. Uh, so, so um, by the way, that illustrates an interesting point. One of the values of IoT is actually fixed devices, not mobile devices, because fixed devices typically get 75 to 85% connectivity from the main supplier. And that, that gap to 100% is actually where the business case drops away. So first of all, you have to solve that problem. But then you say, okay, that's, the, that's EV charging. And then in the home, what we've now got is other companies like solar panel companies putting things in. You've got people who are doing smart meters, companies like iTron, who have an installed base of 70 million meters, gas, water, and electricity, but let's take electricity. 
So you've got the meter is is, is connected. Uh, the 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 solar panels are are connected, and then you've got the DSOs, the the electricity distribution companies, like uh, I don't know EDF in the UK, who say, well, uh, I own the customer, so I sell the electricity to the customer. And then you've got the car companies themselves that say, someone says, well, if you've got an electric car that's going into your garage, you've actually got a source of power in your car, and you and the say it's a Tesla, the Tesla's got connectivity in it. So suddenly, if you just look at it, you've got five or six companies, all of whom have services that are based around connectivity and power colliding in the home. And then what you say is, okay, well, it's interesting what's and, and what's happening. You know, companies like in the UK, Octopus Energy are uh, real disruptors. And they're saying, you, you the consumer, uh, are at the heart of this orchestration. So what if you could buy and sell as opposed to you just do a contract with somebody and then you, they tell you what their prices are once a quarter. And so the idea of brokering is going to come about where, where people can say, well, I, I am a, both a consumer and a generator of electricity. I have things like Nest thermostats in my house and I have smart enabled everything in my house and I have my consumer devices in my car or cars. And the idea of the consumer being their own little business, buying and selling electricity, saying, I, I want to buy a certain number of um, megawatts, I guess that's what you bid for. And I, I want to buy it in the middle of the night and I want to know who wants to sell it to me. And I'd like this green profile, but who wants to bid to supply electricity for me for a two hour period? Or I want to sell, who wants to buy and this is a fundamental, a great example of what IoT is going to do. Uh, just like you used to have to go to a bookstore to, bookstore to buy a book, or you had to go to in the UK, the BBC, to get content. And now, no, 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 I'm in charge. You are a possible, you know, maybe I'll go to a bookstore, but I'm in charge of the model. I will search. I will decide. Then, and and whole new companies like Amazon and. Uh, Netflix, my two examples, rose up to uh, become the big players. Then that was enabled by by the HTML and the meta tagging and the IP standard and the internet. And we look back now and we see all these, uh, the fangs, so to speak, the, the companies that grew up in the first wave of the internet. But if you look at the conversation we've just had, there now we've got personalization, not of search, but personalization of usage. How am I using my car? How am I using the, the solar panels? How, how am I um, uh, using the coffee machine? So, so you know, we're, we're personalizing our behavior with things as opposed to our search behavior. That is 100, uh, 500 times bigger than personalizing search. And therefore, why do we think there won't be a whole new range of companies that will become the new fangs uh, so to speak, these companies who will be basically intermediaries uh, who will say the model is going to completely change. The power is going to go to the consumer. I'm going to create a company that empowers the consumer. And basically, I will take the value and I will federate the connectivity to other people if they have the right offer at that time. That's essentially what we're doing with connectivity as SI is that we give the connectivity to an operator if they have the right price and if they have the right latency and the right signal strength and, and whatever at that time. And that 
So that creates value in the the the, the eye of the needle. Um, uh, but and that is exactly what's going to happen in healthcare. New healthcare companies. You don't have to go to the doctor and then get referred to a specialist, and then go to the insurance company, and then go to the hospital. I mean, the, the supply chain is tortuous. New new uh, business models in retail, new business models in 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 smart in smart energy, uh, new business models in looking after historical legacy assets and uh, um, maintenance facilities management, and there will be a series of new Netflixes and Amazons, which are being formed right now, which in five or six years' time we'll look back on and and they will be very, very well-known companies. But they've all, they're coming about because the same thing is happening now as was happening in the internet. And when the internet enabled the consumer to, to bypass the supply chain, then what were happening now, what's happening now with eSIM and EUICC, we're enabling the companies to have the power of choice. And as a result of that, many, if not all industries will change. So I think it's the same again, in, in, and, and it's not called e-business, it's called IoT enabled digitization. But from a, if this was business school, it's the same effect, but applied to things, not people searching. That's the big speech. I love that. No, honestly, I think that's such a great example. I love the way you've covered that from two different angles as well. So from from enterprise or organisational choice, but also that changing role for the consumer as well. It's almost kind of three different pillars there. So you know, customers, not just as consumers as number one, but also as creators and also as brokers as well. So three different elements to that, which I think is really interesting. And you reminded me something as well. Um, during the pandemic, um, I saw some really interesting examples of tech for good, for example, so particularly the telco space. Um, there was a lot of issues around data waste um, and for example people not using all their data at the end of contracts and they were rolling yes. it over to people who didn't have access uh, to be able to pay for those sorts of plans for example so it was a real inclusion opportunity and I had a resonance of, of that conversation as well because we see data waste in so many different areas I um, mean you know, 90% of data that's archived not touched again after three months so again with that consumer choice what you do with that data and interesting opportunities there I would say too. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about data waste on the on the telco end, you covered both ends, the consumer and the telco. But one of the reasons you have, if, if you're if you want to do global connectivity, and why wouldn't you? Because you could do a single SKU, reduce your manufacturing, reduce your supply chain. You know, da 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 da. That's the holy grail. But today, or previously, you had to uh, take SIMs from, let's say, eight different operators. Not uncommon for us to find customers who you say, I use eight SIMs, eight platforms. I have to add it all together. And, and because you're negotiating with eight people individually, of course you're going to have pools of data connectivity that's unused. So you have you have overlap there and, and very restricted contracts where it's really hard to flex them uh, up and down. And the second part of your, your point uh, was, okay, let's just assume that you get what data, you're not using all the data allowance you've bought, but, but the data you do pull in, then you've got this whole issue of what is your data architecture model. So how much data gets processed at the edge versus how much data gets backhauled to the center. And actually on that point, what you know, we're also, a, like, as I said, a hardware design company. So we, we, we design edge aggregation devices. Um, uh, and we bought a hardware design company because we thought this was so important. And what you really want to do is have the sensors aggregate 
uh, uh, into a, you know an aggregation device and process as much as possible with the AI and the application at the edge. So you have to do um, network function virtualization and containerization and application management at the edge. If you don't do that at the edge and then only back all 10% that you need, if you pull it all back, first of all, you're spending a fortune. Secondly, you're probably tromboning data and spending an awful lot of money. But thirdly, more importantly, you've got all this data, as you say, into this huge data lake. It's like water cascading into this huge data lake. And you just literally don't know what to do with it. You can't pass it. You can't separate it. You can't see the trends. And so the 80% of the data will be processed at the edge, which actually means, you know, sort of put a wrapper on this. It actually is the opposite of what Mark Andreessen said uh, about 10, 15 years ago. What I mean by that is when the internet took off, you know, Andreessen... Uh, became famous for a lot of things, such a genius, but actually said, well, software is going to eat hardware, right? So software eats hardware. We've all lived that. Software eats hardware. Nobody, no one wants to do hardware. It's, oh, you're, you do hardware. That, that's how stupid can you be? You're in the hardware business. But when 80% of the data goes to the edge and you have to do edge processing and every IoT device is unique, not like mobile phones. There's only seven mobile phones in the world, but every IoT device is unique and its firmware settings have to be optimized and it uses different data from different sensors. So so suddenly you look at it and go, oh my word, hardware is really important again. And then you, and we've got this whole industry that was fueled by venture capital money on the basis of, we're not gonna invest in a hardware company, we want a software SaaS company. And then you say, well, how are you gonna optimize the device for the eSIM? Because the firmware is gonna rotate, the battery management, how are you going to switch and have a constant set of APIs? And all these things are hardware problems and software problems. So we've come full circle. And, and so, um, you know, it's Andreessen said, well, software is going to eat hardware until hardware becomes important again. And uh, I think that's absolutely the case. Um, 5G in factories, sensors, private 5G networks, the, the device and the, the, not the building of the hardware, but the optimization of the firmware uh, in hardware devices. You know, firmware engineers, there's a, people uh, watching this or listening to this think, you know, what should my uh, kids do for education? I can tell you, firmware engineers is a, is a hard a skill to find in the market. And uh, it's going to be in huge demand going forward because of what's happening with IoT. That's a great point. I love that. There's so many, I mean, there's increasing gaps in many areas of technology at the moment, isn't there? You know, from security to testing to architecture, but you're absolutely right. I think it's a very, very good call there. Um, So I always like to bring in a bit about inclusion and and job opportunities with futures we've discussed about before around inclusion and and outreach, et cetera. So there's a great point there about things to look out for. And we'll put some links to that in the show notes as well. And I just think it's thinking summary as well, that age of convergence you were bringing to the fore there. Um, and you, you took software eat hardware for breakfast was a phrase, wasn't it, originally? But now you're absolutely right. We're coming for this buffet, really, where both we need the complementary strengths but coming it's together. It's not we? one or the other. You need both exactly. the, the, the combination of, I mean, an iPhone is a combination of hardware yes. and software. Yep. So hardware is important. It's just that Apple did all the hardware because you have one device. That you could Every person in the world can use an iPhone. In IoT, 
I, I mean, we have 2,000 customers. We've got millions of devices. No, no customer's device is the same as any other customer's device. Yeah, you can buy low-cost trackers um, off the internet. But I'm, when I'm talking about the sort of IoT use cases where you want to customize the experience as opposed to just get some data on tracking, then no device is the same. And, and, and I, it's not something that I remember the industry talking about five or six years ago saying, you know, the, one of the implications of this will be that the people, the enterprises will have to um, learn hardware skills. The VCs didn't say, oh, we really want to invest in people who actually have hardware design skills because they're the ones that will win the IoT projects. And suddenly you're finding a lot of people who haven't got it, and we compete with a lot of companies, of course, and uh, what what we say is let's let's take a look at your device. Well, and 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 this is what we we can test your device for which countries you want to use it in for what the use case is before you start deploying. So you won't have to go back and start again. You know, final data point, Sally. Eighty percent of all the uh, customers that we win as SI came to us after a failed IoT project with somebody else. It's a bit bizarre, but um, but and and when we say, well, what happened? He says, well, it, the first hundred devices worked, and then we took them to another country, and I had no idea that they work in in, in France different to the way they work in the UK, or I had no idea that in in Turkey you get kicked off after three months, or that AT in, in the US AT and T doesn't work the same way as Verizon. I just thought it was connectivity. Well. It isn't. So, so it's a very exciting time, but there is going to be disruption in business models and the players, and also a requirement for new skills, all of which means great opportunity, as always, uh, in the IT industry. Absolutely. Nick, what a great way to end it. I absolutely love that. And so many examples there, which I absolutely love to have an episode as well. So for everyone listening and watching, we'll put all those together in the show notes as well. Links to some great research that we've been discussing as well and in previous conversations as well. Lots of insights there to help you with your future planning and also just bringing some of those showcases um, to life as well to share too. So thank you, Nick. Honestly, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks, Sally. And thanks again for inviting me. Enjoy My it. pleasure. Speak soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.